untrue, uh, of a teenage boy who was finding his way in the world and happened to find his way to the library. And as he scans the shelves in the library, he, he sees a book, and on the spine of it, it says, How to Kiss. And uh, he thinks, aha, this could be useful. <clears throat> and so he looks around and timidly reaches up on the shelf, pulls down the book, opens it up, and you can only imagine his disappointment when he realized he was looking at the H to K volume of the dictionary. <clears throat> so he, he, uh, th th there's not a lot of excitement, is there, when you pull down a dictionary? Nobody does that expecting to have a good read. And so, but, but nonetheless, we recognize the value of dictionaries. Even if our dictionary these days is our phone, uh, a website, or, or Google, um, we still see the value of what it does, of explaining words and phrases to us. But because it's pretty dry and it's not what we read for personal interest, uh, then that's kind of the reason I don't really like including a lot of definitions in my preaching, whether it's Greek or Hebrew or uh, even English. However, I do think that today we've reached the point in the sermon series where we need to say, are we all on the same page as we talk about faith? And so it's, it, it's necessary to take some time thinking about uh, the meaning of the word. Now, when we want to talk about faith in Scripture, I think the first place that many of us uh, turn to is Hebrews chapter 11. Right? And uh, often called the whole of faith, not the Hall of Fame, but the Hall of Faith, or the Faith Hall of Fame, if you like. And so, um, the beginning of that uh, chapter, it has a definition. Right? So the author actually begins by saying, here, let me tell you what faith is. And so I'll put this up on the screen for us, hopefully I can get this to work. Yes, there we are. And I've taken it from the contemporary English version. I like their, their wording here. It says, Faith makes us sure of what we hope for and gives us proof of what we cannot see. Okay? Faith makes us sure of what we hope for and gives us proof of what we cannot see. Now, there are a couple of elements to this verse or this definition that I think we, we need to notice. The first is to recognize that this definition emphasizes the belief aspect of faith. Okay? It, it emphasizes the belief aspect. So it talks about uh, what we hope for. Hoping is something that happens in our head, isn't it? Okay? Hoping isn't something you do, it's something that happens in your head. And so it says, faith makes us sure. It gives us confidence. Again, confidence is something that happens in our head. It's, it can describe the way that you're doing something. He's walking confidently. But that could be a lie. What's, whether or not you're confident is determined by what's going on in your head. And so we can look at this and we go, oh, faith. 
is something that happens in our head. And, and likewise, even the second half of that there gives us proof of what we cannot see. Again, I'm going to convince you. I'm going to persuade you. It gives us proof. Uh, it's an intellectual exercise that's taking place there. The second thing that we should notice about this definition is that faith is found at the end of our knowledge. Okay? Faith is found at the end of our knowledge. And if you want to have like one phrase that you think of today that summarizes everything else, I'm going to say, that's it. Faith is found at the end of our knowledge. And because it's proof of what we cannot see, right? Our eyes do us a tremendous service. We see an awful lot. We understand and we interpret our world around us based on what we see. But when we reach a point where we cannot see any further, whether we're using a microscope that's optical, whether we're using some sort of um, X-ray microscope or um, atomic microscope, we're still seeing the results of that. But when we reach a place where we cannot see anymore, then we have faith. And faith provides the proof. Now, if this was the only definition that we had of faith, we could be forgiven for thinking that faith is best located, or most likely to be located, in the classroom. That faith is what we hope for, what we believe, what we think about, what goes on inside our head. So if we just get in the faith classroom, and we absorb the right Um, information and and we are convicted by it, then that's where our faith is going to develop. But I want you to keep reading with me here in Hebrews 11. Uh, And I'm not going to read a lot, but you see in verse 3, it it follows up this this definition that's given in in verse 1. And in verse 3, it says, um, by faith we understand. And you go, oh, that's the same idea, right? Understanding happens in our head. And it says, we understand that God is the creator. We believe that God has created. And so um, we, it's, it's still happening there. But then we see this transition through the rest of the chapter. It's not about what happens in our head. He says, um, as the author talks about faith, he now says, by faith, Abel, what? Abel brought a sacrifice. And and then we we come down a little further and we see, by faith, Noah. What does Noah do? He builds an ark. And by faith, Abraham obeyed. Okay, we, We get a sense that these people are doing something for God. Faith is certainly an idea. It's a a way of understanding the world, but faith is also an action. We do things by faith. So I want to come back to our definition. I want you to take a moment and consider what words do you associate with faith? If you've been around the church for a long time, faith is like one word in a set of words. So what what other words come to your mind as you think about faith? Or or what other ideas come to mind? 
Anyone thinking of faith, hope, and love? Yeah. Uh, how about trust or belief? Connecting those with faith. Maybe some of you think we're saved by faith, and you're thinking along those lines, or or maybe just your relationship with God in general being based on faith. So when you you think of faith, what what concepts are out there swirling around with it? I want to give you some other words that uh, I, I believe are intrinsically connected to faith, but we may not always make the connection ourselves. When you walked into the room this morning and you sat down in your chair, did it take a lot of faith on your part? How do you feel about your chair? Did you even think about your chair? Um, you, you know that the chairs are new, right? Relatively speaking. They're not used very often, once or twice a week. Sometimes not at all in a week. Um, they've supported your weight before. You have no reason to think that they won't support you this morning. And so it really doesn't require any faith on your part. You have every reason in the world to think that that chair is going to do the job that the chair was made for. That you can sit on it and there's not going to be a problem. Can you imagine going through life and second-guessing everything? Is this floor going to hold me? Is this chair going to hold me? When I get in the car, there are so many things that could go... We, we just sort of accept that they're going to do the things they're designed to do. And maybe we can say that's a measure of faith, but we're not really stretching ourselves there. It's more a confidence based on uh, research, based on evidence that these things are going to do what they're designed to do. So when we talk about faith, I want to suggest that what we really talk about, or or some words that we need to keep in mind, are words such as risk, failure, weakness, fear, and doubt. Now, I think when we look at these on first glance, they they seem to be the opposite of faith. And you might say, Peter, why would we, we talk about these when we talk about faith? This isn't, they're not connected to faith. They're like opposed to faith. In fact, we're often critical of these attitudes, aren't we? We want to say faith is a great thing. You should have as much of it as you can possibly get. Um, But these are are things that you want to get out of your life. Maybe over the past uh, couple of years, as we've had lots of conversations, maybe you haven't, but I have, about masks and vaccines and various things. And one of the the, the conversations, way, directions the conversations often go is talking about faith versus fear. Right? And, and, and as though they are opposites. And then uh, maybe you've known people who have doubts about Jesus and you just wish they could have more faith. Right? So many questions. Can't you just accept? Can't you just have some faith? Maybe you've known folks who've said the, the reason for failure or illness or weakness in someone's life is due to a lack of, you guessed it, faith. And so these words are often uh, presented as the opposite of faith, the enemy of faith. But I want to suggest 
that these are the words that create the ecosystem within which we find faith. Okay? These words are the ecosystem within which we find faith. Okay? Just as if you want to go looking for an elephant, you don't go to the plains of the Midwest. Right? Good luck if you do. And, and so if you want to look for a kangaroo, you don't go to Siberia, right? You, you have to go to the places where it lives. And I would suggest that faith lives in the ecosystem of risk, failure, weakness, fear, and doubt. Just as muscles, so I'm told, are built in the gym with weights and hard work, so faith only becomes real in moments of turmoil. Matthew chapter 3 tells us uh, one of the first stories of, of Jesus' life. And at the end of Matthew 3, we've, we come to his baptism. And uh, this was a moment in Jesus' life where um, the, that his life had been building towards. For 30 years, it's been building towards... This moment. It's the moment where Jesus says, I'm turning my back on carpentry. I am going to fulfill, to live out my identity as the Messiah. I accept the mission that has been given to me. Okay? I reaffirm it. He accepted it when he, he consented to become human, but he now, as a human, accepts the mission that is ahead of him. He, he is baptized and he receives the gift of the Holy Spirit, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and the empowering of the Holy Spirit so that he can now perform the miracles, that he now has the insight, and the, the miraculous uh, or, or divine knowledge that is given to him because of the Holy Spirit's presence in his life. And, and he is ready to go in the next three years of what we find mostly recorded in our Gospels in the Bible, leading ultimately to the cross and the empty tomb. It's a significant moment. It, the baptism, his baptism, represents tremendous faith in his father at that point. It's why the father says to him, you are my beloved son. Okay. Everybody listen to him. Because this is the moment. And then in chapter 4, uh, chapter 4 begins with the Holy Spirit leading Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted or tested by the devil. And after Jesus fasts for 40 days, uh, as he's physically weak after this period of, of fasting, the devil shows up and puts him through the ringer. And, and demonstrating great faith, Jesus rebuffs the devil's attack. And I think sometimes perhaps we underestimate the actual power of that temptation or that testing that Jesus received. We think, oh, he's Jesus. It's almost like he can't sin. right? But I want to suggest that Jesus could sin, but chose not to. And, and these are called a test because it was testing. If it wasn't testing, it would be called Jesus and the walk in the park. But it's not called Jesus and the walk in the park. It's Jesus and the temptation. In the wilderness. And so Jesus, because of his faith, because of his commitment to God, because of his knowledge of Scripture, is able to, to withstand those attacks. 
We say, wow, I wish I had faith like that. At the end of that time, the angels come and they encourage him and they attend to him, we're told. I think that gives some insight into how strenuous it was for him. And so as you consider these two events, the baptism and the um, time in the wilderness, testing in the wilderness, I want to ask you a question. Which required greater faith? Which required greater faith? The baptism or the testing by the devil? I'm not real concerned with your answer. Okay? I, I think we could, you know, probably split up into different groups and have so, you know, be a good Bible class exercise. Um, but how do you come up with that answer? Just think about it for a moment. The way you determine which one needed the most faith is by thinking in your head which one was the most difficult. Which one had the greater risk? Which one had the greater chance of failure? Which one was playing on his weaknesses? Which one had the most fear and most doubt to overcome? And whichever one I decide it was, that's the one that required the most faith. Because faith is found in this ecosystem, not in the classroom. Our theme for this sermon series is found in Matthew chapter 14, the story there of of not Jesus walking for water, but Jesus walking on water. Okay, that's my only connection today. But Peter jumped out of the boat and he said, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to walk on water too, if that's okay with you, Jesus. So let me ask you another question. If Jesus had picked a sunny day and he'd taken his disciples with him down to the local splash park and uh, found a little pool that had water about this deep in it, and, and he said to the 12, he said, I want you to stand on the edge. All right. Spread out, arms length apart, stand on the edge. And uh, now everybody take a step onto the water. Uh, Jesus, I think you mean into the water. No, no, I mean on to the water. Okay. And they say, oh, Jesus, <laughs> what's going on here? And we would say, as observers, we would say, wow, how much faith do they need for that? We say, not a lot, because what's the worst that can happen? Right? I mean, they need some faith. Don't get me wrong. They have to believe Jesus. When he says that they can walk on the water, they have to believe that that's a possibility. Okay? The other thing is they have to trust Jesus. But the trust is probably just that he's not going to turn around in 30 minutes and go, oh, you guys, you're so gullible. I can't believe you fell for that. Lined up walking on water at the splash park. All right, come on. Let's go to Capernaum. Um, so their, their trust, they needed some trust, but not a lot. The worst that could happen is that their ankles were going to get wet. Instead, Jesus says, let's, let's, let's build some faith. He says, let's, let's go out on the lake, right, where it's deep. I don't know how deep the Sea of Galilee is, but it's, it's more than ankles. Right? Let's go out where it's deep. But, but let's go out at night. When it's dark. And, and let's go out when there's storm, a bad storm, and the waves are big, and you've got, to, you've got to row all night, and you still haven't got all the way across. He says, let's get in that situation, and then now, who wants to come with me out on the water? 
He says, yeah, can I do that? You see, faith is found in this ecosystem. It's not found in the classroom. And it's not found at the splash park. Peter's requires actions require faith. Because it was risky. Because it was dangerous. There were so many things that could go wrong. Doubt for Peter was logical. Right? Um, fear for Peter was natural. And it was there that Peter's faith is revealed. His faith in Jesus, his faith to listen to Jesus, and his faith to obey Jesus. To take actions, not just answer questions. Now, Jesus, when he sees Peter, ultimately look away from him and look at the waves and become fearful and lose his faith and start sinking. Jesus says to him, Peter, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And and I know that it seems as though there's disappointment in Jesus' tone. I think there is. But I think it's because of what he's seen. He's Jesus has glimpsed what is possible in the lives of his apostles. He says, oh, we're getting there. We're making progress that, that in this circumstance, you, you would do this for me. He says, we'll get better at it, okay? We'll do, go to the splash park next week. And we'll work on it. And then we'll find another storm. Peter was willing to take risks for Jesus. But here's the thing. I am not convinced that as Peter climbed out of the boat, that he had zero fear. That he had zero doubts. That at that moment he lost sight of of the waves. That he he lost sight of the darkness. That he was oblivious to it. that, That he said, oh no, there's nothing there. I didn't even notice it. It was just like walking down the street. When Peter climbed out of the boat, he knew what was going on around him. He fixed his eyes on Jesus and he walked towards him, obeying him and following him. But he knew what was out there. I don't think his fear was gone. And, and in fact, it's, it's really the, his next step where he begins to sink. That that fear and that doubt and that what on earth am I doing out here idea sort of overwhelmed him. But it's not to say that they didn't exist before. But even although he was aware of all of that, he had the faith to keep taking the steps. And so this faith moved him through all of those circumstances, all of those difficulties, all of those waves and wind and everything that was around him. Faith didn't remove them. It moved him through them. And and I think this is really my, my point today, is that sometimes we want to say Sometimes we want to say that that faith is the 
removal of our doubts and fears. That, that if we have fear, if we have questions, if we're not sure what to do next, if we're afraid of failure, you know, if we're, we're doing something and we don't know if it will succeed, we say, oh, you don't have enough faith. As though faith somehow just eliminates them all. But I want to suggest faith doesn't. Faith is still realistic. The faith says, I'm in a battle. Jesus says, I'm being tempted in the wilderness. Peter says, I'm walking on water in a storm. People who are sick come to Jesus and they say, look, I'm sick. This is a reality. And it's faith that heals them, but faith that God can accomplish these things. Faith that God is bigger than whatever is going on. Faith that God can bring us through. But when we say, oh, I didn't even notice that that 10-ton truck just landed on top of me. I've got so much faith. No, I mean, that. we we need to wrestle with these things because faith is realistic and gets us through. And so, when we understand that, that faith exists in these messy places, I think that as Christians, we're called to live less of our life in the safe places. When you look at this picture, is anyone praising the the guys in the boat because they have great faith? Right? They're the ones who are being safe. They're being responsible. They're being great stewards of the boat. What's going to happen to the boat if we all get out of it? Right? Right? We've been given this boat as a trust, as something to take care of. If we all get out of it, what's going to happen? I mean, that, that, no one says, yes, you're, you're great guys because you stayed in the boat. That's our faith in the classroom. That's our faith at the splash park. It doesn't stand for a whole lot. But instead, faith is expressed in the messy parts of life, in the messy parts of our community, in the messy places in our workplace, because it's there that God is able to accomplish something through us. And so if we've reached a point in our life where we find ourselves being comfortable, where things are the way we like them, where we've got control of all that's going on around us, then that's great. But it doesn't say anything about your faith. Except perhaps your faith in yourself. Or your faith in your financial security or your faith in something else. Our faith isn't expressed in the classroom. It's expressed in the messy parts of life. That's why I said at the beginning that that faith begins where our knowledge ends. Where our strength ends, faith begins. Where our ideas end, faith begins. I think of um, so many things that have been started. I really don't know the history of healing hands or walk for water, but somewhere there was someone who said, I'm going to step out of a boat and start something new. They said, I'm going to, I'm going to go to a new place. I'm going to do a new thing. I'm going to ask new people for money. I think that together we can accomplish something. I think we can make a difference. I think we can change it. I'm going to do it in, in this way. And they were part of a church, and there were a whole lot of people in that church, and the church was sitting there, and it was doing church things every day of the week, or especially on Sundays. And it was you know, existing as a happy church, but someone said, I'm not content 
with the church and the churchy stuff that we're doing. Because we're too comfortable. And we need to, to get out of the boat. We need to find a messy place, a place where people are hungry, a place where people are thirsty, a place where people are sick, a place where people aren't able to live their lives, don't have much hope, they're living in despair. The, the, he said, we need to express our faith there as well as in our seats on Sunday morning. And we could look at so many ministries and so many things that happen around the world. And we say, somebody said, yeah, my faith needs to be lived in the messy place. And so I'm glad that we can participate in it today. I'm glad that, that we can participate in it on, on other occasions. But we're called as Christians to live our lives in these messy places. Also, to live our faith in the difficult places. Walking by faith means accepting that Jesus walks with us in our fears, in our doubts, in our risks, and in our failures. Walking by faith means doing things for God by faith. Even when we can't see the path forward. Because faith is the proof of what we cannot see. Thank you, Peter. In a few moments, we'll be partaking of the feast that Jesus put 